Right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I think usually right around now I say something like, while the cat's away, the mice can play. But I'm afraid the cat is still in our midst, so no playing. Um, just kidding, Pastor. Oh, we do say that, but we don't play when you're gone. Of course, now with the live streaming, we have no hope. You always are looking in on us. Hey, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, I hope your heart's already been stirred by uh, the hymns and the music. It's uh, truly a great joy to gather together and confess those truths that are so rich. And, um, you know, as disciplers, I, I think hopefully all of us are pursuing the goal of uh, sharing truth from God's Word with somebody else. And uh, whether it's in a formalized kind of Wednesday night or, or whether it's just in your daily walk as you are together. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know if you have to ever wonder, well, what is it that I can say? What is it that I can talk about? What truth, you know, can I ever give? Well, hopefully we all have some things to say about Jesus and how precious he's been in our life. And, and I just encourage you to... Uh, uh, to talk about Jesus. Um, you know, when Pastor asked uh, for me to speak this morning, I thought, well, we would just talk about Jesus. And uh, one of the, the paramount or the mountaintop texts in all of the New Testament in relationship to Jesus is Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to uh, read just a few verses here, uh, and then we're going to make some appropriate comments on it. But as I thought of Hebrews chapter 1 in relationship to Jesus, one of the things that you find in the book of Hebrews is that the author is really waging war with a cultural reality uh, in the lives of his hearers. Uh, and, and you sort of have this clash between uh, the authorities of either the culture or of the person of Jesus Christ. And it is true, it is very true that culture is such a powerful shaper in our lives, isn't it? Uh, we are members of the culture. Uh, we, we actually make up the culture. We are part and parcel with the culture. And, uh, and it certainly is a powerful shaper. How we think, how we act, and how we feel is often shaped just by the fact that we are participating in community in the 21st century here in the United States of America and uh, there is a cultural expression of all of that together. So the question tonight, or this morning, is this. Is there any reason to question cultural's influ culture's influence in our life? Is there any reason? And if so, who can we trust? Who is more trustworthy than the most brilliant and, I would say, creative minds in our culture who are always giving us ideas to think on and to act out in our life? Is there anyone who has authority or who can speak with, with more pointed help than even those people in our culture? You know, I would argue that thoughtful people, uh, those of us who sort of view what we maybe would term popular culture, as we view that, there are certainly people on the fringes of popular culture, maybe we would say. 
And yet, as you really investigate these people who we would think to be on the fringes of our culture, and we listen to them either through their music, or we listen to them through their blog posts, or we, we watch the, the, uh, uh, the identifications that they make in the realm of human sexuality, all of those issues, and we listen to them, and we begin to see that these perhaps are the most honest people when it comes to those who are taking the ideas of popular culture and applying them into their life. Unless we sort of stand amazed by that, uh, we certainly want to uh, appreciate that those people are very thoughtful from the standpoint of trying to live in harmony with the ideals that they're being taught. But this morning, I want us to see that there is, in fact, somebody who has uh, far greater authority and has an amazing ability to, even in the face of culture, to uh, reverse our thinking. And he has the authority to do that. So let's read, with that in the backdrop of our thinking, let's read verses uh, 1 through 3 here, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into what God has for us. God, after he spoke long ago... To the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Now, can anybody tell me real quick, if you have a New American Standard in your lap, the pronoun his, is that in any funny font? What is that? It's in italics, isn't it? So those of you who are familiar with those who write our Bibles, what does that mean? Okay, good. It's not in the original. It's supplied by the translators for, or the, the, the editors, really the translators at this point, for clarity. But we could read that this way. In these last days has spoken to us in son, S-O-N. We're going to make a point of that. That's really the hinge of this whole issue of authority and who can stand and speak. He's spoken to us in son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact rep representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then the text goes on. So let's bow for a word of prayer and ask the Lord help as we look at our passage here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, for your grace and your mercy. And uh, this morning, we, we take a long, lingering look at you, Lord Jesus, uh, not as the meek and lowly, mild man of Galilee who walked the dusty streets, who was scorned, and who for our sins uh, was, was horrifically tortured, beaten, and then died on the cross. Uh, we thank you for that. We make reference to that in our text here, but... Uh, we are beyond that in this text. We see the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And it, and it becomes a matter of authority, Jesus. And I pray that all of us here this morning together we would joyfully bow the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because, Jesus, you are very special. There is no one else like you. And we uh, want to make much of that this morning. So help us to do that. Help us to... Uh, 
make decisions and changes in our life that are in concert with what the author of Hebrews tells us is true about you. So thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the difficult things about the book of Hebrews is that it doesn't start with really any kind of ordinary opening like we have in other epistles. It just kind of jumps right into its subject matter. So to begin this morning, I'd like to direct your attention to the end of the book to kind of get a sense of perhaps why the book of Hebrews is placed in the canon of Scripture. So let's go all the way back uh, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hold your finger there in Hebrews 1. We really want to get a sense of the so what of what we're about to read. And it's a critical so what, and it really stands in the face of uh, uh, the authority that our, our cultural ex-officionados claims, uh, those, those captains of culture, those who are creating the ideas that pop culture is selling us. And, and, and it really comes down to... Uh, this wonderful benediction uh, in verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to focus our attention there in verse 21 on the word equip, the word equip. This really gives us the destination of the whole book of Hebrews and the destination of what we're looking at this morning. Uh, the Greek word equip, it can be translated in this way. It's putting us in order, mending us, restoring us. And preparing us. It's a word that speaks to the immaterial part of humanity. And it speaks to a power uh, that is God's design for us to enjoy the God of peace through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is exclusively in that realm that you can be equipped in your inner man, you can be restored. You can accurately come to your identity. You can understand why it is that God, in fact, created you. You can answer all those big questions in life. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? How's it all going to end up anyway? Those ultimate questions. It all funnels down into this word equip. And the information we have in the book of Hebrews has equipping, restoration, preparation, peace. It has that as its destination. So is that something you want? In your inner man, as you look back in your life, are there times when things have been less than clear? Perhaps you're living that way right now. You, you lack clarity. You, you wonder, well, what am I supposed to do? Where, where am I going? Uh, uh, Perhaps you have been victimized by somebody else's sin and, and you're wrestling in your inner man and your thoughts and your emotions and trying to figure all that out and, and how that impacts your personality and, and what, in fact, God has for you. And Beyond being the victim of sin, maybe you are somebody who has victimized others in sin and, and you, you hold a guilty conscience in relationship to that. And, 
And it's a very painful reality. Uh, But I want you to know this morning there's hope. And you're not going to find hope from the cultural ex-aficionados. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Is that a right word? No. Just the, the people who are in charge of our pop culture. As you listen to the wonderful music they produce. And, and as you, you, you watch all that they want you to watch, and as you read all the, 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 the psychological uh, things they want you to read. Uh, no, it, it's found here, now this equipping, this ability for restoration. And the idea here is that the garments of your life have been ripped, not along the seams. But they've ripped right through the fabric as a result of sin. And it's a very difficult repair. And you need somebody with real authority to come alongside and to begin to teach you how to think, how to act, and how to feel. Particularly feel, isn't it? That's a a critical one. And uh, the author of Hebrews says there is such a one, and his name is Jesus. And uh, we're going to see some specifics of why Jesus is uniquely equipped to restore you, to mend you, to prepare you. In context here, there was a real threat for the original hearers of this letter. The original hearers were Jewish Christians. Culturally, equipping for them was found in Judaism. Judaism would be so much easier. Judaism was the religion of grandma and grandpa, parents and friends. Every social gathering was made extremely difficult because... These hearers weren't uh, embracing that philosophy. They were embracing Jesus instead of Judaism. It caused all kind of pressure. Also, Judaism was approved by the Roman government itself. Christianity, on the other hand, was outlawed and illegal. It's caused for all kinds of issues, and people were literally chased over the Roman Empire. We're, 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 we're aware of the infinite, infamous Roman Colosseum. Stories of Perpetua, a woman who with her children is literally devoured by lions because she would not, and her kids with her, by the way, because she would not succumb to anything but Jesus as Lord and Savior. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs sometimes, and you'll be encouraged with the faith of God's people. Um, But but culture, uh, Judaism, was a huge, huge pressure it was culturally advantageous to give up Jesus and to seek to be equipped just like everyone else in and through Judaism. A parallel for us today would be what I call secularism. Uh, today, we don't necessarily, or we as Gentiles aren't pressed by Judaism. Rather, we're pressed by secularism. Um, uh, we have, on, on the positive side, they tell us man is the measure of all things. Uh, and that was actually philosophically put into print way back in the 1700s. On the negative side of the ledger, it essentially boils down to this truth that man's God is his belly. I mean, that's sort of the negative expression of it. Uh, but that man is the measure of all things. Um, we know that this too, this idea that what you need is truly found inside of you and you just need to liberate that, you're basically good and uh, you're, 
you just have had environmental realities that press in on you and you just need to kind of figure it all out, blame the right people and be liberated to do whatever it is that you want to do. And this supposedly is going to help equip you. This supposedly is going to help to restore you. And, and I wouldn't dare, um, uh, because I didn't know these people personally, and, and to this day I don't know these people personally, but I, I don't think they, they, they are ill in their motive. I, I think their motive is to equip, it's to restore, it's to prepare, it's to have you enjoy life. That's what our pop culture aficionados want for you. But the problem is they, they, have, they have no wherewithal. They, 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 are, they are adrift on the sea of man's ideas that is as deep as the ocean. And there's no clarity there. It's literally being tossed about. You know. um, so like I said, this too has been sanctioned by our families, many of us, our loved ones for generations, and certainly is the prevailing ideal of most popular cultural outlets. But as we have read in Hebrews 13, the God of heaven is a God of peace. Write that down somewhere or circle that back in Hebrews 13. He wants you to know peace. Uh, the Bible teaches us that mankind is the highest of his creative order. That God originally created us to, be, to rule this earth uh, alongside of the God of heaven in fellowship and perfect peace and harmony. But then something horrible happened. And that is since sin entered into this world. And uh, ever since then, uh, man has been uh, absorbed in his own self-interests. And he has stood up as his own authority. And Romans tells us that he suppresses truth. And it's very interesting now. He suppresses truth not because truth is some, some, for some reason unreasonable because the Bible somehow doesn't make sense. No, Romans 1 reveals why he suppresses truth. It's because there are things that he wants to do that God has said he can't do or he shouldn't do. So he throws all that off because he wants to do it. In other words, God is his belly, his appetites. So we take all this wonderful revelation and reason uh, things that the Bible says our conscience responds to under the power of the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit, and he sets it aside. So, so there we have. We've set the table. Uh, the God of peace longs to equip you, and he can. And he can through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he has always desired this. And the culmination of this desire is the incarnation of God in human flesh. So if you walk away with nothing else this morning, walk away with this truth that Jesus Christ is God's Son. The historic man of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth, who walked the dusty roads of Galilee. This man is like any other man who has ever been born. A hundred percent man, yes, and we don't diminish his humanity. But he is also a hundred percent God, and oh, may we never diminish his deity. And it is he alone that stands in the, in the face of, of, of the wealth of cultural authority that's always slamming on your life. And like an like a, like a arrow through the wind, it cuts it. And if you're willing to embrace the authority of Jesus, it lays it open and lays it aside so that you can know, you can know 
restoration in your inner man. He has the authority and he has the power. He is God's son. The hinge point, as we already indicated in, the, in this opening statement of Hebrews, is found in verse 2. He has spoken to us in his son. Um, we've already mentioned the idea that this is a, a matter of quality. This is a matter of the vehicle that carries what God wants us to know. This vehicle that carries the, what God wants us to know is unlike any other vehicle that God has used thus far to communicate who he is. It is the vehicle of son, S-O-N. It's the vehicle of somebody who is absolutely God himself. And he is God, if, if we could use this illustration, uh, or knows God in, in a manner that only a family member could, if we could kind of use that illustration, although that illustration doesn't go far enough. Uh, so this is the hinge point. This is really the author of Hebrews' uh, declaration of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and why he is so much better, uh, not only uh, much better than the, the, the cultural aficionados, but, but in the context that we have here, much better than, than even... Uh, those genuine uh, vehicles of what God was telling people to do, like the prophets and the angels. Those were legitimate ones. But Jesus far, far outplays those two groups. And that's really what the rest of the, the passage talks about. So English has a hard time translating well uh, this concept. Uh, the word son here is without an article, uh, and in Greek that means it's focusing on the quality, that this is son who is communicating to us, unlike anybody else. Um, so in comparison to all other ways Jesus communicates God to us, we could put it this way, maybe this is a good way to think about it, in a one-for-one -one fashion. Heretofore, God has communicated through the prophets, through the angels. And uh, we had to excuse the life of prophets, didn't we? We had to excuse the life of the judges. We had to excuse the lives of the kings. We had to excuse even the lives of high priests. Uh, these men, remember, even Elijah, the greatest prophet, collapsed under the weight of being called of God to testify in that moment on, on Mount Carmel. And he couldn't handle it. He couldn't run it home altogether. He is found depressed and weeping in the corner of a cave, thinking that he's the only one. See, these vehicles of revelation are, are so incomplete. And along comes son. And this vehicle of revelation is one for one. We don't excuse his life. We look to his life, and we look to his life not only as just a mere model of what God wants us to be, but he becomes, as son, the very object of our worship. See, heretofore, all the vehicles of revelation have sort of had, what did angels do when people would fall down on their face? What would they say? Don't do that. Jesus now says, your faith has made you whole. Go and sin no more. Authority. Because he is God, my friends. It's huge. And we live in this time in the church age with this 
uh, a robust reality and robust understanding. So Jesus Christ is son. The first point we see here in our text is that prophets are not son. Kind of already alluded to that. Prophets spoke authoritatively, authoritatively yes. In many portions, their, their, their revelation about Jesus or about the coming Messiah or all that was happening in God's plan was fragmentary at best. Uh, they, they, they had to have what they said confirmed uh, in signs and wonders, and, 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 and uh, that was part of their message. But Jesus, on the other hand, speaks authoritatively due to divine right. They spoke in a variety of ways, and the ways were often peculiar. Do you want to speak to a burning bush? Some of you says, oh, I wish I could be there. No, you don't. Trust me. You know what Moses had to do to get to the burning bush? Be thankful that you can in the morning have your cup of coffee and the Bible and Jesus and just commune. Amen. You don't have to go marching up mountains after being kicked out of Egypt. Wondering who in the world you are anyway. For Until he was 80 or something like that? I mean, how would you like to have an identity crisis at 80? <laughs> Going up to the mountain, you know? You don't have to do that, friend. You have an authority in revelation, in communication about truth that has come. So prophets were in his son. You have Moses at the burning bush, Elijah in still small voices. Now, we seem to like that. We kind of make much out of this idea that God told us things. Well, I would rather just hear Jesus' voice as it's written in the Word of God Amen. Uh, because he has all authority. And it's objective. And uh, I can turn around and share it with my disciplee because I can show him. I actually have something to contribute rather than some mystical experience that probably my disciplee will never have. And he'll always yearn for. You know, how, do you, how would you like to train your children that way? Oh, you know, here's a little piece of information, but you'll never get it or understand it. Too bad, boo-hoo. You know, no. Jesus is better than that. He said, make disciples, every one of us, all of us, all the things that I've taught. Taught, I've taught you this. It's objective. Sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. John 17, pastors share that with us over and over again. So we have this great joy. Isaiah and a vision in the temple. I mean, that, that's, just, that's, just, that's just flat out terrorizing. Isaiah 6. Hosea and his family circumstances. How would you like that, guys? You know, go marry a, a harlot. Well, you know, I'd rather just have revelation a little simpler. <laughs> By golly, you know. That's a vehicle of revelation. Aren't you glad you don't have to drive that vehicle? What about fruit baskets in Amos? Aren't you glad you don't look for revelation in fruit baskets? Have to articulate that? I'm glad. So through symbols, events, pillars of fire, dreams, visions, the Urim and the Thumbing, all these things. These are all vehicles of revelation. I don't mean to diminish them. They were very important and critical in their era. But I'm diminishing them against the backdrop of the resurrected Lord of glory, Jesus. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Folks, you have a far better witness and revelation. And to whom much is given, what? Much is required. That's right. Folks, we are... And, 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 uh, I won't say that. All right. Number two. 
Prophets were not son. Number two, as son, Jesus is God. And here we just have this, this machine gun heaping up of all the things that Jesus is. Uh, number one, he is appointed heir of all things. Um, you know, sometimes, I know pastor, probably all of us who preach, you just can't put these things into words real well. Uh, he, is the, he is supreme, he is in the supreme place in all the universe. All the universe. He is not a pop cultural aficionado who in my little generation, stands up and says, hey, let's do something. And then everybody sort of follows like sheep. Now, Jesus Christ transcends time. He transcends space. In his divinity, he is God. He is heir of all things. The author of Hebrews is simply saying this, the train is rushing into Jesus' authority. And all things will be given to him. And folks, you better get on that train. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He is heir of all things. Not just some of them. Not just parts of them. All of them. Comprehensive. Teenager. All of them. Life in the middle. All of them. Young married. Every last one of them. He has authority. It's all rushing there, friends. I would jump on the train. I'd jump on the train. The second thing, Jesus is creator of all things. It, it would be one thing if sort of he stood back in his supreme place in the universe and, and, and was sort of uh, a little bit um, confused by this creative order down here of what's going on. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is not only heir of all things, he's very personally involved in all things. He's the creator of everything. Yeah, the word here is ion, the ages. Uh, it's, he is the creator of the sum of the periods of time, including everything that is manifested in them. He's in control of it all. He has authority over it all. It's not just the things in earth, but the events that are always occurring in the earth. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God's glory. This is in the word radiance, radiance. This concept here is the outshining of the brightness of God. How do you, I don't know, just close your eyes and think of the sun with me, okay? You know, nobody has been up on the sun to observe exactly what's going on there, right? So, so we, we put forth theories. We're pretty sure of some of those theories, but... But you don't know the sun because you've been up there and you've absolutely observed every little critical aspect of it. No, you know the sun because you live on earth. And on earth, you have the practical radiance. You have the, you have the benefit of the radiance. It's the practical outflowing of the sun into our life here on earth. And it's what makes it work. And if it was just, you know, you, you could either, you know, the, the sun will either make you look like Mars a red hot planet, or Venus, I'm going to get all mixed up. Anyway, the point is, those are bad places to be. <laughs> That's the point. You want to be right in the right place to enjoy the beneficence, if we could put it that way, in the sun, in the authority 
Although, and that's, 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 that's a good way to, to look at it here. Uh, we, we know the sun because we see and know its radiance. It is the sun's radiance that warms our atmosphere and causes plants to grow. We don't see the sun, we see its radiance. Jesus Christ is, practic- is the practical radiance of God. It's, it's the part of God that we want. It's the part of God that's safe. There's part of, God's that aren't, of God that isn't safe for humanity. Remember Mount Sinai? When God decided to reveal himself on the mount, it wasn't safe. People couldn't touch the mountain. You know, animals were dying. This is the holiness of God and all of his beauty and perfection. The sin-cursed earth can't handle that. So I would recommend, don't want that part of God. Don't be Venus. Don't be Mars. Be Earth. Be Earth. And submit yourself to the authority of Jesus in this question of being able to equip you, restore you, mend your inner fabric, make you a godly man and a godly woman in your character. That's what he wants to do. And he's excellent at doing it. He's God's glory. He's, Jesus is God's nature. The nature, our text tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. The word uh, representation uh, translates a word that isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's, it's a difficult word to understand. And in that sense, it's, it, it, it's a good word because it's, it's trying to explain the inner workings of the Trinity. And frankly, folks, the Trinity is a doctrine from heaven that's got to hit your heart long before it's ever going to hit your head. You either believe it because God said it, or it ain't going to be nothing to you. I would recommend believing it. Do we understand how you can have uh, one God, one essence, three persons in one essence, and they're all equally God in the interplay of the Trinity? I uh, know. You know, we come up with all crazy illustrations, but all of them sort of fall short. The point of the matter is, is that Jesus, employing this Greek word that isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament or in the Septuagint, which I think itself is appropriate, he's the exact representation. The idea here is a die. Those of you who are machine shop workers, you know what a die is. It, it stamps, it's impress, and it's exact. And it has to be down to, I don't know, what are the tolerances? Dwayne or whatever, it's down to the, I mean, it, it's amazing how exact it has to be. And that's exactly what Jesus is. There's no other way to describe it. He is God. For our Mormon friends or our Jehovah's Witness friends who would diminish the, 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 the person of Jesus as some one of many gods or as, or as a, a created being. No, here the author of Hebrews is saying in, in, in as, as best as he can that none of that is true, that Jesus is the very nature. Um, Jesus is God's nature. Jesus is God's power, we're told here. Jesus sustains the creation by the power of his word. Now, there's only one person that we have known so far to have the power of just merely a word. Uh, The technical term is ex nihilo, somebody who can just will it into existence. And that's, as far as we know, from Genesis chapter 1, that's God the Father. Now, in this passage, we find out that it is God in his triune splendor, but we have that power being attributed to Jesus Christ, the lowly man of Galilee, the the person who walked the dusty streets, 
This one has the authority and the power of his word. The idea here of power, it's not a, don't think of like a weightlifter, somebody who's straining. Now, that's not the picture here. The picture here is sort of a manager. It's a CEO who is in complete control of the organization, and he's moving everything along the lines of the stated mission. That's what Jesus is doing. Everything is operating, and everything is rushing to his authority. That's the goal, and all men will confess that. So Jesus, Jesus. Number three, then, as son, Jesus Christ accomplished his work. And this is what uh, is, is of great joy and delight. Uh, let me get back there to Hebrews chapter 1. It says here, uh, And when he had made purification of sins. Now that statement, purification of sins, I think we have some pregnant ladies in our midst uh, I use the metaphor, that's a pregnant statement, and those ladies can tell you that. You know, you can walk by a pregnant gal and say, oh, she's pregnant, but if you really want to know what's going on in her body, you know, and take the time, there's a lot going on there, <laughs> bless their hearts. You know, they say that uh, all give some, but some give all. Those ladies give all to the kids for sure. Um, we're thankful for that, obviously. But, but here, Jesus Christ did that which only God could do. He made purification of sins. Now, that very verbiage is intentional. Remember, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians. So he's going to use things that are within the Jewish context. And, and purification of sins, they understand from the whole Old Testament mosaic context. And all that went into that. You see, Gentiles read that and we go... Oh, the cross. Whew. Our Jewish friends read that, and it is like, it is a festivals, it's calendar, it's dragging sheep, it's buying sheep, it's oxen, it's doves, it's, I mean, it is, it's, it's almost infinite as you read the Old Testament. And they're left with, wow, Jesus did that, all of that. You know, it's sort of like that. You know, that pregnant gal, she could, she could tell you it all, <laughs> and it is a lot. And Jesus accomplished it. He did it, and we know he did it because he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. This is the posture of completion. This is the posture of authority. And it's singular in nature. There is only one right hand, if we could use that. Uh, if we could picture God in human terms, he has only one right hand. There is only one place of honor. In the ancient Near East, the place of honor was at the ruler's right hand. Jesus exclusively possesses that place. No cultural officiantado is there. Oh, by the way springs up, you know, and then dies. Influence wanes and washes. Jesus, eternal. Jesus is God. Jesus' nature, these things. As Son, He's God. As, as Son, His work is complete. He's made purification for sins. 
So in that statement, friends, we get the we get an insight into the primary issue with why you're not equipped. You know, it doesn't say that Jesus, uh, uh, he, he came up with some psychological construct to help you with the effects of your problems in your life. It doesn't say... He referenced some authorities, or, or he, he looked at your parents or people who are influencing you in your life and blamed it on them. Now, what was required is an issue that's deeply seated in humanity, and that is our sin. And what's the middle letter of sin? And what's the middle letter of pride? They just so happen to share the same middle letter. Now, that's no real great insight, I suppose. But in the English language, that's your big problem. And uh, it is this, that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life. We call that his act of obedience. You see, it's not enough to stand before God or in God's presence, sort of neutral. You have to have infinite righteousness because God just isn't morally neutral. So Jesus' whole life is about redemption. His whole life, his whole existence is about assuring a home in heaven for you. So in his life, he fulfills the will of the Father in all aspects, in spirit, in word, in deed. And he accrues for you infinite amount of righteousness, impeccable and infinite righteousness. His active obedience and then he allows humanity to put him on the cross. And in his passive obedience, he pays for your debt. It wasn't his debt. It's your debt. All of the times you suppressed truth and unrighteousness and you chose to follow your own appetites, you threw aside God's authority, and you embraced your own. Folks, you don't have to sit there and think, man, am I the only one that ever does that? No, the reality is we all do that. And the crazy thing, even as believers, because we are such masters at that, it takes a lifetime to sort of untwist that mess and get us thinking right in the restoration of God's image likeness in us. So that's your problem. And it's okay. We all have the same problem. That's what we are. That's what we all are here because we are all this way. So don't feel bad. But at the same time, that truth is an excuse to sign and say, oh, whew, okay, no. No, we're not dealing with my authority. The train is not rushing to Pastor Kent, who, oh, by the way, has lots of issues, so I can have lots of issues. No, the train is rushing to Jesus and his authority. So, boy, you better, you better get on the train and start progressively seeing the Lord Jesus Christ untwist uh, that heretofore twisted almost to unrecognizable proportions, his image likeness in you. He's untwisting that and making you uh, an equipped person, a restored person, a person who can love, a person who can think outside the context of the letter I, who actually introduces new pronouns into our thinking like you and he rather than I and me this is what Jesus does 
So he sat down in the posture of rest. Dear friends, be assured that there is a voice in the person of Jesus that is the trustworthy word from God because he himself is God. He is competent to challenge and correct what culture has done in your life. Very competent. As culture inflames a conscience, maybe you're filled with guilt. Culture does that often, you know. And then insists that uh, the conscience isn't to be heeded. Oh, don't worry about it. Or perhaps as it reorients the whole moral compass, turning life upside down, giving, giving humanity all these options, wonderful options, with all of their horrific realities that just literally sap the life out of human experience. Can you know this morning that Jesus, the Son of God, is the master equipper, the master person who can heal who can forgive, who can make purification for you. He has made purification for your sins, and he can show you, as you seek to then, give, as you give your life to him, uh, he can show you how to grow in grace, abound in love, be a man or woman of hope. There it is, beautiful triad, right? And that's what he's good at. Uh, this morning, you know, you, you might be listening to all this for the first time and, and saying, whoa, you know, that, that's, that's quite a bit. Maybe you've never heard Jesus uh, from the author of Hebrews like that. Uh, but this is understanding Jesus on his terms. You know, uh, a part of this whole question of authority in your life is you like to accept Jesus on your terms. And I guarantee you, you hate that when people do that to you. You hate that. You at least want to be able to speak for yourself, don't you? Yeah, I remember uh, being a teacher and, a, and a, an administrator making all kinds of assumptions uh, on his own terms about who I was and how I even thought. And it created a very difficult reality. <laughs> But we have heard from the author of Hebrews, who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, contending with your culture, contending with all that you are, and commanding us to align ourselves under the authority of Jesus. Um, that starts at a certain time in your life, and that the Bible tell, calls that the time when we're born again. Just uses that as a beautiful metaphor. So when you're coming to human life, you're born humanly, and you have life, and you have parents, and all that, and you have context. Uh, spiritually, it's true as well. As a metaphor, we are born again. We, we, we have our life completely, or our thinking, completely restructured in a new way, that Jesus now is in charge. I give my life to him, and this is what we call being born again. This is receiving the fact that he died on the cross for you. He paid, he made purification for your sins exclusively, there are no other competitors. He's it. He's it. I give him my life. So we would earnestly encourage you to look around you. We've got all kinds of disciples of Jesus Christ in here, and any one of them can tell you about how wonderful Jesus is. So with that in mind, uh, let's bow forward to prayer. Father, we thank you.